0: This is the How to Flourish online podcast, so let's get into it. Almost every small business owner or solopreneur will admit that one of the hardest, if not the hardest thing about running a business is building the team you need to reach your goals, and this is something that I know very well firsthand Over the past six years, I've built my own team from being just myself as a solopreneur feeding babies with one hand and making websites with the other, to these days having a team of 11, where every week there is absolutely a new challenge. But one thing I think we'll all agree with is that you need a strong team around you. It is 100% the key success to your business. And when you need a strong team around you, I know that you'll want to know Paula Maidens, who is my guest on today's episode. I met Paula a couple of years ago when we redid her website, actually, and she helps fast-growing entrepreneurs build high-performing teams so that they can scale with ease and get their time back and, you know, create the life they damn well deserve. Paula has a background as a recruitment firm director in London, and she's been a business consultant for 10 years. And for the past five years, she's been focusing on remote or online business. So I know that you'll definitely want to hear what Paula has to say. So she now is running her own business, doing everything from private business coaching and presenting to creating online courses. And just between you and me, I think she's pretty damn cool. So in episode five, we'll be talking uh, all things recruitment from your first essential hire to the three different hiring strategies you need to find a perfect match for your team. So let's dive in. So hey, Paula, and thank you for jumping on this call with me to be on the podcast.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome. It's lovely to see you again. We've had a little bit of an email back and forth about what to call this episode because my gut or well, my first re- response was to call it growing a team that doesn't kill your soul.
1: But then I felt that was a bit negative, Paula. But I think it's reality. And that's what sort of I bounce back to you saying, look, I actually think it'll, it'll capture attention and it'll be a good episode to listen to because that's definitely the situation that I see that lots of business owners and entrepreneurs finding themselves in. You know, they wake up two, three, four years down the track and just be like, oh, how'd I get here. Surrounded by these people having to do these things. It's common. Yeah. And it's
0: like often you kind of sticky tape your team together in those early stages where you're really kind of, I don't know, I'm just thinking back to my own experience where you're dealing with whatever fire is biggest at that given time. And so then it kind of gets to a point where you are growing and all of a sudden your team is just kind of buckling under the pressure or the gaps are really starting to show do you think that's yes. common?
1: Definitely, definitely. Just I think we're starting out, we're <laughs> doing everything ourselves, and then that next step being getting somebody to help us. What I see, and I know certainly from my experience, you know, it's almost like that first hire. You're just so grateful that anybody's coming to help you. That you're sort of chucking anything at them, and then the two of you often are like rolling your sleeves up and just you know getting what needs to be done done. There's often a lot of learning on the go, learning on the fly that happens and sort of, you know, often I see people just continuing to bolt on more helpful people around them Mm. and I guess what that can then lead to is a little bit of a mess, like a whole bunch of people doing everything, who's meant to be doing what, everybody's hugely helpful and then add into that, if we haven't hired in skills or experience or, you know, specific things that people have done before and everybody's learning on the go, then it becomes a little bit of a pressure pot because it's like we need to do something new. No one knows how to do it. Everybody's keen to learn it. We've got all these deadlines. We're growing fast. You know, typically that's when success is coming your way and people are starting to hear about you. And, yeah, it can be a real pressure pot, but it's, but it's also totally normal. It's, it's very much part of that initial hustle, I guess, of getting your business up and off the ground to that certain level, that first level of growth.
0: Oh my God, I can relate with that so much, (laughs) Paula. That's
1: crazy. I'm glad that's normal. (laughs) Totally normal, totally normal. And I guess that's the thing is that nobody, nobody talks about what small business leadership is and how it's so different to corporate leadership or what it is you are meant to be doing. So like everything else in our businesses, we work it out as we go. You know, my very first website, I built myself and know if you saw it <laughs> well, it was chaotic yeah. Uh, yeah. and a bit of a mess but you know but that's because i thought well that's one of the things i need to do is i need to learn how to you know i just need to learn to put something together and, and i'll fight when and it's then you get to a stage where you're like okay well that's not good enough anymore i need to sort of put some proper structure around this strategy and some planning so i guess it's like everything else in our business you sort of start out working on the fly but then we need to sort of slow down a little bit get some strategy decide what the right framework is with our future growth and goals in mind. That's
0: super interesting because, I mean, the big question is, how do you work out what the strategy is and what to do next when you are in that little pressure cooker type, you know, situation where your team is, as you say, all extremely helpful and everyone's learning as they go? How do you pull back from that and just, like, clear the slate or, like, what do you do?
1: Yeah, and I guess it's the thing that none of us want to do. Is, and that's just pause, take a pause and create strategy, find strategy. I suppose if I, if I could share, I think one of the biggest reasons we find ourselves there in the first place is because we haven't had strategy. And what we've done is we have copied or replicated what we've seen somebody else do, maybe somebody that we admire, maybe something that a course has told us to do, you know, and often that's, you know, hiring in a VA, for example. But, you know, typically, what's one of the reasons that we've found ourselves there is that we haven't sort of stopped and thought, well, what do I need? Where is my unique business going? What is my leadership style? What is the type of environment that I want to create? How often do I want to be talking to my team? Do I even want to be talking to my team? And, you know, we have to pause and put that strategy around us and and ask ourselves those sorts of questions and then actually move forward just creating a team by design as opposed to by default. So, you know, I know for me personally, my leadership, because I know a lot about my leadership style through, through a lot of trial and error <laughs> and obviously through a lot of consulting work that I do, but, you know, my leadership style is very hands-off and I like to work, I'm actually a bit of an introvert. So, you know, my style is that I actually don't want to talk to people multiple times a day, multiple times during the week. Whereas, you know, I know lots of other amazing entrepreneurs who actually get their energy from talking and bouncing off their team members. So, the types of people that the two of us should hire are very different. Okay.
0: So, how do you work out what type of person you are and then be able to identify what kinds of people are applying for the job that you have advertised?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose it starts with. I suppose it, it's a step before the advertising spot. I think it's a, it's a step where we sort of say, okay. Let's look at our business goals. What are we trying to create here? And looking beyond the, you know, you might have a revenue figure, but looking beyond that, what do I want my environment to look and feel like? Do I want people sitting around me? Do I actually want people sitting remote, which is the majority of us in the modern workforce? In which case, those remote people, how much interaction do I want to be having with them? And just really drilling down into your own preferences and, and going even further, saying, so, you know, do I want to have meetings on a Monday? So for me, Monday's my day because I like to slide out of the weekend with my family and have a day to myself. And so I meet with my team either late on a Monday or on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, depending on the structure. And similarly, I'm a morning girl. So it's like I quite like meetings in the mornings. Whereas one of my clients who I went through this process with recently, she likes to have her own time in the morning. She likes to work out, do what she needs to do, be the CEO and meet with her team in the afternoon. So I guess the right answer for you comes from a little bit of you know, gazing in the mirror and thinking, well, what does my dream business, my dream environment, and therefore my dream team look like? So that's, once we get really clear on that, then we can start to look for people that have preferences that match that. Indeed. And that's kind of, you know, when, we're, when we are recruiting, what I see is people tending to put most focus or the only focus on what we need the person to do. Because what I teach is equally as important is the how we want them to work mm-hmm. and actually looking for a match from both sides. So we want somebody who can do these specific skills or has, has experience and is willing to do these things but also has a preference to work in a certain way. So, for example, you know, if I hire somebody who wants to have a chat and shoot the breeze at least every day and come to me every time they have a thought about doing something different, it's not going to work for me going to make me feel suffocated. So the more awareness that I can go forward into the recruitment process and if I can then write a fantastic job advertisement, speaking to that person and getting the chatty person to opt out <laughs> and not even get to the apply section, then we're already on the right path to more hiring success.
0: So it's really interesting over the last 12 months. I know that you specialize in remote teams and now all of a sudden... This time last year, Mm -hmm. everyone went remote. What did you see happening at that stage and what do you think has come out of it?
1: I've seen a lot of people not notice the difference, so the people already in the remote businesses, of course, and then what I've really liked is seeing the normalisation of remote work Mm -hmm. and the greater, I guess, clarity or the greater transparency that's come to people or the way remote work actually looks. So what I've found is less of the, you know, you don't have to sort of pretend your kids aren't in the background so much anymore. It's actually they're there. (laughs) That's a fact. And how do we actually sort of deal with that and some normality around that. For businesses who've had to pivot to online or remote-based teams, what I saw was their communication frameworks and structures come under significant pressure because suddenly you weren't sitting next to somebody, you weren't picking up on all the little conversations or all the moods or the look on somebody's face, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, you know, the stuff I guess that we've been dealing with in the remote online world for a while has, again, has become more of the norm. So a little bit more emphasis on communication systems and almost like everybody realizing or proof that actually how you communicate if you can make a break when it comes to having an awesome team.
0: Yeah. Right. So we here at Flourish, we're half remote and half not. So we have a couple of days in the office together and then a couple of days at home and we've also got people in different states. So we've got like that real kind of slashy environment. Yeah. 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 And I noticed when my partner came and worked at home and so he's corporate and he came and worked at home, he just felt like he was missing half of the conversation all of the time because he was really used to that environment of sitting, you know, and just being able to overhear things and, you know, kind of pick up on the little gaps in information. But it's interesting because I think women are very used to working remotely, particularly after they've had children and they've started this entrepreneurial journey that they've been on, that working remote has been the best option for for them. So we're kind of, I don't know, I feel like we're a few steps ahead when it comes to knowing how to communicate more clearly in this disjointed kind of
1: space. Absolutely. And I think that brings us into another one of the reasons that I see people waking up and not loving their team environment, and that is communication, but also like the number of assumptions that we make when we are hiring and stepping up as CEOs and leaders in our business. Like we make assumptions about, you know, specifically what somebody can do based on what's written on their CV or the way they've explained it to us. And we make assumptions that they will know the way we want it done, so our how we want it done. We make assumptions that we can read our mind, let's face it. <laughs> and all of that sort of concept of assumptions actually comes down to great communication. So I think when we are removed from that face to face where we're looking at somebody. You know, often you can make the right assumptions, I guess, if you're staring at someone, you're eyeballing them or you're watching them walk across the room or you've got that context of the other conversations or what they're saying to other people. Because in a remote sense, suddenly you have to make sure that you're removing opportunity for assumptions and you're setting the greatest of clear expectations possible.
0: <laughs> it's hard. It's, I think it's hard to retrain your brain, especially with, like a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners are ideas people. So actually getting into the nitty-gritty of the task and the communication can feel really difficult.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the techniques that I share and teach is to describe what your idea of success looks like. So what that allows you to do as the entrepreneur is to stay in your creative space, thinking of, you know, your big picture stuff, but help strip away some assumptions and re-clarify expectations by describing success. So for example, you know, you're hiring in a social media manager or let's say you're hiring in a virtual assistant who you want to run your social media. So often what I see is a sort of that really generic engagement going, can you come in and do my social media? Can you come in and grow my following? Can you come in and deal with all my comments? Some, you know, and they're all very generic statements. And then if we the next stage being, and I want to describe to you what success looks like, so if you to increase my followers by a hundred per week, I'll be stoked mm-hmm. or within three months time, we've gone from a thousand followers to 10,000 followers. That's going to be my idea of a really great job. So even the whole comment thing is sort of, well, my idea of success would be is that all comments are dealt with within 24 hours or within the same day. Or my idea of success would be you're checking comments in the morning and the afternoon. And I guess as entrepreneurs, as creative thinkers, often we don't want to drop down into the detail. But what I know to be true is that in a month's time, when the person's not doing what you want them to do, there's a very strong feeling that rises up in your belly and you have to articulate it then. So if we can take ourselves forward from the outset and just think, what's going to make you really happy and what's going to annoy me and share that from the outset, then we're actually setting everybody up for success. And so often that concept of thinking of the two extremities, what's going to leave me feeling really disappointed and what's going to leave me feeling really excited is a great way to sort of bring that from our subconscious to the fore.
0: So everyone's on board for what the expectation is right from the start.
1: Absolutely. And then also you're able to have a really robust conversation around if it's realistic Because often as the entrepreneur, we've got these huge, we're high achievers, we're highly capable, you know. so we've got these big lofty goals. And what we're actually allowing is we're almost starting to make the goal already starting to become a reality by putting it out there and crystallizing it. And then the person who we're expecting to do it, if we invite them to be brave and invite them to to have a two-sided conversation about it, and they can say, well, 10,000 followers, considering in the past you've only grown by 10 per month, that might be a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. And then you can suddenly start having a conversation about it. Or they can say, oh, gosh, if I only increased your followers by 10 per month, then I'd be disappointed too. Then you know you're on the same page. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, okay, cool.
0: So the way that you're speaking there makes me think that you're referring to someone in a role who is experienced and that they're able to kind of buy into that idea of success or failure as the opposing end, I suppose. What if you're finding that someone in your team doesn't know how to do what it is that you're asking them. Like take a VA, for example, I see all the time that people think that a VA should be their first hire. And so all of a sudden, you know, they've outsourced a, a VA full-time or part-time from an agency offshore. And then they just start lumping things onto this VA who's all of a sudden expected to be knowledgeable in all of the things, right? So being able to have that buy-in from your team member must kind of mean that you're hiring for a skill set that they absolutely possess and that they're on top of. Otherwise, I don't think that they'd be able to meet the expectation.
1: When we're hiring anybody, we're either hiring somebody with an expectation that they can already do something, so they possess the skill or the experience that we need or we're hiring to train somebody and to show them how to do it. Or I guess if we want to throw a third one in there, we're hiring somebody on the basis that we're then saying, I don't know how to do it. You don't know how to do it, but you're going to work this out. I guess that's our three options. So if you're hiring a virtual assistant, particularly an offshore virtual assistant, my experience and my recommendation is that they're really great for repeatable tasks that you already know how to do in your business. So, you know, things like, you know, reconciling zero entering transactions like invoices and bills, sort of maybe creating, you know, some, some templates for social media. So something, all the little things that you can do as the entrepreneur in your business with your eyes closed at the moment. And that's where I feel like that's where I see, that's where my experience is. I've worked with virtual assistants, offshore virtual assistants for six, seven years now. That's where I see them really thrive because you give them a process which they can follow, and they learn through being shown. And I'm not sure if that's quite what you're talking about or whether you're saying, hey, you're hiring a virtual assistant who's say, never never done the task before, they've never touched zero, if we, t- we roll that example, and then we're saying to them, hey, I don't know how to do zero, you don't know how to do zero, but can you go in and reconcile my transactions? Then I guess if we walk it through that same process, then if we're both being open about that starting point, then what's our deal of success? So my idea of success as the entrepreneur bringing this person on, well, in a month's time, maybe you've learned zero and maybe in two months' time, you can do it without mistakes. And if you're working with me, I'd also be a great recruitment process is being clear on what do you know, where are the gaps, how are we going to fill them? And if I can't train you, then who else is going to train you? Do we bring in somebody externally? Do we enroll you in a training course? Or actually is that your first project to go and learn how to use Zero? if that's the case? Mm-hmm. So we can still have an idea of success around that because we're going into that with our eyes open. Okay, so you know, I really want you to be reconciling all my transactions in Zero. We haven't done this before. What would be a reasonable amount of time, do you think, to get up to speed in this? Okay, so my idea of success would be after one month, you're feeling comfortable, you're not coming to me with questions, I'm feeling confident, and then from there you've created a process and that's a given. So we can still put that what's my idea of success around it, it's just totally different to if somebody came in with experience. You make it sound so easy.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, what are we doing as entrepreneurs? Are we making all of this way harder than it has to be?
1: Learning, I think what I see is is you're just sort of learning from your own mistakes. I've done it myself, I've been sort of an entrepreneur now for 10 years. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I think that's what we do. We learn from our own mistakes until we reach a point where we realise that it's actually stalling our growth, causing us too much stress or grey hair, and then we sort of look for a different way, and usually that's that's from guidance. And I guess you know, iron's really tricky because if we think about when it's time to hire. Usually we're busy, we're stressed, we're overwhelmed, and we just want it fixed. And it's almost like that's the ultimate sort of pressure point, I guess. And it's almost like that's the worst time to hire, but it's the time we typically hire. So what we want to do is slow down. You know, there's that great saying which is, you know, hire slow fire fast. We want to slow down the hiring process and stop and just go, what do I actually need? What do I want taken off my hands? What are the things that I can really easily show someone else what to do? And once those things are taken off my hand, what time am I going to have freedom? What will I do with that time? Or if we don't have obvious things that we can just hand over that we can teach somebody to do, then it's, okay, well, what skills and experience do I need to bring into my business to move us forward? And how am I going to know those skills and experience when I see them through the hiring process? And then with every hiring decision, it's important to think about your return on investment. So, you know, it's, it's an expense that's going to be going out the door. So when can I expect to see, you know, some of this money coming back in, either through what they're doing or through what I'm going to be doing? And that helps us to if we can get clear on that. Okay, it's going to be a month, it's going to be two months, it's going to be three months. Like if they're doing that, then I can get on with what? And that helps us to stay calm and when the dollar is going out the door in those first few months because we've already thought, okay, well, it's going to be at least three months before what I'm doing brings revenue in the door and so I need to give it that amount of time, for example.
0: Mm. It's really quite daunting, especially when you've got a big hire. If you're hiring like an ops manager or a project manager or one of those hires that's kind of, you know, beyond that VA kind of level, it can get really daunting. It feels like such a gamble sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's when a well-structured... You know, thought out interview and whole recruitment process is, is just so important because you need to look for proof that the person can actually do what you need them to do. You can't hire on hope. You need, <laughs> to be, you need to be clear on what do I need the person to be able to do and how will I know it when I see it and then what will be the check-in points along the way if I see the person you know diverting from that understanding that I had through the recruitment process. So that's definitely a hire that you sort of don't want to win, I suppose. But I don't want it to just sound like it's all too daunting because you know it does get to be simple. You know, particularly if we are you know hiring those earlier you know virtual assistant more general roles into our businesses, and it comes down to you getting really clear on because we're totally overwhelmed. We have a million things that we're trying to do, and we just want to pass some stuff off. That pausing is about, well, what are the things that I can hand over? What are the things that I can actually show somebody how to do? What is What are the things that I would need them to work out? And then start with the things that you can hand over and you can show someone to do. Loom and Zoom is our friend. Record the processes, pass them over, and then you know it's being done in the exact right way and then sort of move into a, okay, together we'd like to learn how to do a podcast, for example. I've never done a podcast. The person you might be talking to has never done a podcast. Let's move and look at this as a research project that we work through together. And so
0: where do you think people should be starting when they hire? What do you think the first hire is for an online business?
1: There are two questions that I ask my clients. And that is, if only I didn't have to do X, then finally I could get on with Y. So if only I could stop doing answering my emails, fixing my diary, whatever <laughs> that thing is, then I would get on with launching you know, a podcast. So that's the first question. And then the second question is if only I knew how to do X, then suddenly the business would be able to do what? So the answers to those two big questions will present to you the answer. Mm-hmm. So if only I had to stop doing four hours of admin which is really demotivating and doesn't use my brain and put me in my zone of genius, if that's your answer and it's stuff you're currently doing, then a general virtual assistant is a perfect solution. But if only I knew how to build an amazing website to actually drive amazing leads so that then I could get on with delivering amazing client service, then your answer is not hiring a general virtual assistant. It's going and finding an amazing web developer to support you to do that. Mm. So I guess, you know, the point that I'm trying to make is it's not one-size-fits-all mm. and where I see it going wrong is where we think, oh, okay, I've reached six figures. That means I need to get a virtual assistant or oh, everybody else is getting a virtual assistant, I'll have one of those. Mm. Great, it might work, but, you know, you're crossing your fingers and hoping that your business is, is the same as the other person's business that you're replicating. Mm. So, and I, you know, I was speaking to somebody the other day where, we thought that she needed a general virtual assistant and so we're going through this process of, of bouncing down and writing down all the things that we could get the person to do. And eventually she said to me, do you know, I just love tinkering on the website. I just love it. I love playing around with this and uploading the blogs and rah, rah, rah. And I was like, okay, why would we hire somebody to do that bit that you love? So what do we need to do in your business and what revenue does the business need to be bringing you in and where can that come from for you to have the luxury to be able to sit down and tinker in your website if that's actually what you love? So, through concluding, you know, if you're thinking about well, what do you love doing, what do you want to hand over, we actually concluded that she needed to hire someone to go and create leads because that's what the business needed to be someone else focusing on that revenue side so that then she could just do the tinkering, which was, you know, what she loved and what she's actually very good at and was really hesitant to hand over to somebody else. Mm. Well,
0: it's a shame to hand over the parts that you actually like because, because you think it, you have yeah, to.
1: Yeah. yeah, you wake up in four years going, oh. Mm this isn't so fun. I used to
0: really like designing logos, (laughs) you know, that kind of (laughs) stuff. With this revolution of online remote teams that we've seen, particularly in the last year, but also it's been around forever. What do you really think are the secrets to building an online or remote team that still has that camaraderie and you have people staying and, you know, that, all of that good stuff that we used to get from working in person in a shared space.
1: There are definitely a few elements that make that up. And one of the things that I teach is the six pillars to building an awesome team. And an awesome team to me is some people who are motivated, they're kicking your goals, they're hanging around, and they're you know, helping you truly drive your business forward. So those six pillars that I teach are you being an authentic leader as a starting point, leading in a way that feels right to you, not sort of replicating or doing something because you think you should and being aware and open to the fact that you may not know everything yourself, setting really great expectations. So really getting good at explaining what you need your team members to do, how they all fit into the bigger picture, how what they do affects each other because, you know, people are motivated by the why. Bring people up well beyond just the task they're performing, bring them into why it's relevant and, and how it actually makes an impact in the business. Awesome communication. So, you know, that's explaining your why. That's taking the time you need to talk to people, give them feedback, correct them when they're not on the track, you know, give them the best opportunity to succeed and, you know, regular information sharing sessions, which, you know, you remember from... You know, the more traditional corporate way of working. You know, you have your town hall meetings. You have your monthly meetings where the big boss would sit there and tell everybody. You know, you'd all gather in the morning tea room. But that was all information. So, you know, the third one is absolutely great communication. The fourth one is business systems and culture. So that's that consciousness. Like you just asked how do we create an amazing culture. So having the consciousness around I am trying to create a culture and talking about it. You know, I want us to be happy. I want us to be engaged. I want us to be kind to each other. I want us to be interested in each other. Like, and actually making that more than words and bringing your decisions back to, you know, those value statements or a little bit about your why, I guess. The fifth one is the right people in the right roles. When it's time to hire someone general in, hire somebody general. When it's time to divide that general role up into specialist roles, you do that sort of not sticking with the whole, oh, so-and-so's been with us for four years and you know he or she is amazing and we don't want to to change anything. It's like, actually, what got us here won't get us there. We might need to change, restructure, start to build in some specialist skills. And then the last one being, you know, you share business vision and having really clear goals. So I see all the time is that we keep our big goals and our big business vision in our head. And we don't sort of share that why or share the, hey, I want you to generate leads down here. And that's because my plan is to launch a new course. My plan is to, you know, revolutionise the way people think about X, Y, and Z. Like whatever your bigger thing is, like share that, get that out of your head, and that's the way you will take people truly on your journey and get them bought into more than just your task. You know, mm. are supposed to do.
0: I see a lot of people keeping the business goals close and not sharing in those because it feels scary to share them because what if you fail and then all of these people that are relying on you for you know their jobs and you know their income that's a hard one do you think that that's the reason why people are struggling to share those big goals with the rest of their team or am I alone here (laughs)
1: no no absolutely I mean as as business owners most entrepreneurs and business owners have really big goals They're high performers themselves and they hold themselves to very big goals and targets. And what I see is that we are holding the people around us to those same high targets, but we're just not always letting them know that that's what's happening. For fear of what does it mean if we don't get there or just for – and even sometimes I see the reverse, which is if I tell you my goal, then perhaps you won't try and exceed it. So I sometimes see that as well. So say if I say to you, hey, I want you to increase my followers by 1,000 per month – And actually, you know, you were capable of 2,000 and, oh maybe I shot myself in the foot. Like I see that sometimes too. Whereas actually, I think we need to park the fear, embrace the big goals and embrace the significant change in behaviors and thought processes and things that come with something being so big and just embracing it. And also then growing in our leadership style, I suppose, when we don't hit it, that's still being okay. And loving the learnings and the journeys and and acknowledging that along the way. You know, I always talk about the analogy of I'm not a runner and if I could run 5Ks, I'd be really excited. (laughs) So that's my big, hairy goal. Whereas, you know, for the next person, my husband who's done 12 marathons, it's not quite as exciting. But if I spend the whole time just going, I want to run 5Ks and today I can only get to the end of the street or next week I'm going to get around the block twice or blah, blah, blah. But at some point we need to stop and be like, hey, I know we're going for five, but we're at three, and let's just stop for a second and remember when we couldn't even get to the end of the street. That's still awesome. Mm. Okay, how do we get to the five? So I guess it's also shifting away from that thought of, oh, failure, I had this big thing, we didn't get there, to look how much progress we've made and truly taking everybody on that journey with you, and then everybody's fear will go away. Mm.
0: Well, just quietly, Paula. I would also love to be able to run five k's.
1: <laughs> well, that could be our big goal for twenty twenty one. What do you think? <laughs>
0: All right, let's and do we it. won't invite my husband anywhere near. No, no, no. He's not allowed. Uh, but there's been a number of things that you've spoken about today, which actually refer back to just pausing first. This is like part of the problem, right? Is that we don't pause because we often we're needing to react, but making goals requires a pause. Making a hire requires a pause. Working out a role, the intricacies of a role, requires a pause. You know, for busy women who often are working in really
1: tight timeframes, it can be really hard to do that. Absolutely. And so I, I guess, you know, make the most of the small amounts of time that you have by, by looking for people who, who haven't necessarily done what you've done before, but who can guide you on it. I guess use that time wisely because you don't probably have as much opportunity to learn by your own mistakes along the way because we just have to unwind those mistakes. So I like to think of the pause as an investment that Mm -hmm. will pay off tenfold.
0: Awesome. A little shortcut to that as well is to go and work with someone for a short period of time to try and clarify all of the crazy mess of ideas that are going through your head. So why don't you tell us about how people can work with you um, if they're finding that, you know, they're getting to the point where they need some help.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can find me over on paulamadins.com. So I work in a, in a coaching capacity and so I teach entrepreneurs how to grow high-performing teams, you know, with the agenda to be able to scale your business, get your time back, and actually build a life by design. So you can come visit me over at paulmans.com. If you want to join my list, I send out sort of you know, weekly emails. You can come to paulmans.com forward slash five hyphen mistakes. And that's a great freebie which covers off the five mistakes that I see most entrepreneurs making when building teams. So it's a good way to shortcut and I guess look out for, oh, okay, these are the things that I shouldn't do that most people do. So yeah, or else I've got a a Facebook group where I offer weekly training. So you can come and join us over there and that's Savvy CEO Secrets for (laughs) Entrepreneurs.
0: Awesome. And I'll pop all of those links into the show notes so that people can refer back to those. I guess like my last question would be, if you just had one tip or one easy win for people to walk away with today in building their remote team, what would it be?
1: Don't be afraid to dream big and to come up And map out and write down your dream team don't be afraid to think about what do I want this to look like and what will work for me here start by looking in the mirror and start by saying you know and and rather than you know I'm not good enough actually you know with me being perfect in the way I am perfectly imperfect how do I want people to work with me how often do I want to be talking to people what do I want my dream environment dream team to look like so start from that point and then move forward with that in mind and know that it's possible for you beautiful paula thank you thanks for being on how to flourish online my pleasure thank you so much for having me today It's <laughs> awesome
0: thanks for listening to the how to flourish online podcast with me Alyssa nagel for a full recap of this show or for more info on how to grow your own flourishing business check out our website flourishonline.com.au. And if you like this episode, show me some love baby. Give us a rating and comment over on iTunes to help me reach more women in online business. See you next time.